The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Alex Gorski was named head of Pharma North America and CEO of Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corp., the U.S. affiliate of Swiss drug giant Novartis, in the fall of 2005. Since joining the company in 2004 as Chief Operating Officer and Head of General Medicines, Gorski has overseen the continued growth of Novartis' industry-leading cardiovascular franchise, notably the blockbuster drugs Diovan and Lotrel. The company sells a variety of products, including those that treat endocrine and respiratory disease, gastrointestinal illnesses, cancer and blood disorders, and bone and joint conditions, among others. Prior to joining Novartis, Gorski was company group chairman for Johnson & Johnson's pharmaceutical business in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Before that, he spent 15 years in sales, marketing, and management at Janssen Pharmaceutica. Gorski was recently on campus to take part in a Wharton Business Roundtable on Leadership and agreed to talk with me, Robbie Schell, Editorial Director of Knowledge at Wharton, about trends in the pharmaceutical industry. Alex, I'd like to start out asking you about two of the biggest blockbuster drugs in the U.S. which lost patent protection in June, Merck's cholesterol-cutting Zocor and Pfizer's Zoloft, an antidepressant. The door is now open to a host of generic drug makers, including manufacturers in Israel and India. First, how big a hit are pharmaceuticals taking from the number of drugs coming off patent? And second question, how big a threat are countries like India, Israel, and China when it comes to producing generics that will undercut the profits of the big manufacturers that spent millions of research dollars developing these drugs in the first place? That's a good question. Um, I think... uh, we at Novartis bring kind of a unique perspective to the industry around the impact that generics are having on the marketplace. Uh, and what I would say is, first of all, I think generics are obviously a very important part of our industry. First of all, they make sure that a very large, perhaps underserved segments of populations can get access to, uh, to important medications. And, um, and in fact, at Novartis, we're actually the second largest generic company in the world uh, with uh, manufacturing facilities in most of the countries that you just mentioned. Secondly, by having a specific period of time of patent protection after which generic companies can enter the market, it helps to ensure that innovation truly takes place in the marketplace. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you never had the end of a patent protection, frankly, the economies of the world would not be able to sustain the cost of multiple new innovative medicines. However, if you're truly an innovative company that's continually producing new and innovative products, um, the byproduct of generic products entering the market, it does free up resources where countries, where healthcare systems can invest in new breakthrough products. So uh, I think what we're starting to see is more innovative approaches from many of the large pharmaceutical companies to the introduction of generics, as obviously you saw with Merck. I think you'll continue to see uh, various models. But I think uh, very importantly, we overall see the generic industry as an opportunity both to get access to medications, but also as a business model. And that's why we've invested so aggressively in that segment at Novartis. Okay. 
Uh, you announced in July that you would invest $600 million to build the first plant in the U.S., in North Carolina, to develop flu vaccines using advanced cell culture techniques. Uh, I know that you've made a commitment to vaccine development with Chiron Corp., is that correct? Yes, Chiron. Um, Chiron, good. Thank you for <laughs> correcting <problem>. me. <laughs> uh, even though for some time vaccines have been a low-margin business with lots of uh, regulatory oversight and, and uh, patent lawsuits, why are you interested in vaccines, and, and does the avian flu have anything to do with this? Well, I think it's a combination of factors. You know, first of all, we've seen the science around vaccines increase tremendously over the last few years. And we think that as uh, emerging healthcare needs, such as avian flu, uh, become more and more of a threat, it's important for us with the vision of being truly an entire healthcare company uh, to, be, uh, to be involved. Uh, secondly, we thought Chiron offered us a very unique platform, a nice vaccine platform, uh, which we're working hard on, uh, but also they had some other um, products within their portfolio that we think will fit nicely into ours. Last but not least, we think that some of the expertise and skills that we could bring to Chiron, particularly around regulatory affairs and manufacturing, can really help ensure that those products ultimately get to the marketplace and can serve the patients that they were intended to uh, to serve. Okay. That, that leads to my next question. A number of pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer and Merck and, and you with Chiron, um, have looked at or are looking at alliances with biotechs as a way to boost their new drug pipelines. Is this a viable strategy, especially given that the biotech industry has lost billions of dollars over the last three decades? Well, you know, it's always difficult to evaluate how successful a company is by what its particular value in the marketplace is, uh, because there are many factors that impact that. But we're absolutely convinced that the right partnerships with biotechnology companies, with other companies uh, that are in complementary um, uh, areas of research or science are critical for our growth. Uh, we're very fortunate that we've had a number of great breakthrough molecules developed internally at Novartis, but we are also constantly on the search externally, um, again, for products that are complementary, for new technology platforms like Chiron that we discussed earlier, uh, to help ensure that we can um, develop new and advanced medicines and grow as an organization. Okay. Speaking of alliances, I, you probably saw the New York Times report uh, when they were writing about the latest developments at Bristol-Myers Squibb, and I believe they listed you as a possible purchaser of Bristol-Myers. Is that something you could comment on, or is well, the, of course, you know, it's difficult to comment on those, but both our chief executive officer as well as our head of our pharmaceutical group have both said just over the last couple of days that we are not, uh, we're not pursuing that at this time. Okay. Given the recent publicity of Merck's Vioxx trials and a number of warnings about other drugs, which are found to have serious side effects after they've been on the market for several years, is there a better way to protect consumers from drugs that initially perform very well, but then later turn out to have these dangerous, sometimes deadly effects on users? Yes. Um, you know, we are absolutely committed to making sure that we bring both effective as well as safe medications to the marketplace. And um, in, um, in today's world, where uh, just by the sheer volume, the number of people that get exposed to medications in a very short period of time following their launch, it's critical to, for us to do everything we can during the development process. 
Uh, we're quite pleased, actually, to be working very closely with the FDA on a number of important initiatives to see what can be done uh, early on in the development cycle to make sure that whether it's from an efficacy and even more importantly, a safety standpoint, that um, that the drug has been fully reviewed. Um, I think that's the first step. Number two, it takes a very solid surveillance program once a drug has been approved. And there, too, we think our monitoring system is strong. It's something that we continue to put a lot of focus on. And finally, it's about um, uh, marketing it in an appropriate manner. And that's something that we're committed to as well as an organization uh, to ensure that physicians uh, and other decision makers are getting uh, the full prescribing information so that they've got all the important facts and figures on hand to make the right decision for the patients. Um, in addition to the news about Bristol-Myers Squibb dismissing its CEO and chief counsel, uh, there's been the news that GlaxoSmithKline is agreeing to pay the IRS $3.4 billion uh, to settle charges of underpaying taxes. Are these incidents another blow to the public's somewhat declining confidence in the pharmaceutical industry, or are they really just total aberrations? What's your read? Well, you know, it's it's difficult for me, in fact, impossible for me to comment on the specifics of that because uh, I'm obviously not aware of them. Uh, but what I think is more important than ever is for us as an industry to make sure that people are aware of the tremendous good that we do for people. Uh, and, um, you know, I think any industry, not just the pharmaceutical industry today, is in the spotlight, whether it's Sarbanes-Oxley, OIG, uh, other types of federal investigations. We have a significant onus as leaders in these organizations to make sure that we're doing things the right way. And it's difficult. Uh, I think any industry, frankly, any organization, when you've got thousands of employees um, to uh, you know, be right 100% of the time, but that's what we have to expect and that's what we must insist that we do. And uh, so, you know, we've got a number of, uh, of policies, procedures within our organizations around ethics, around compliance to do our very best, uh, you know, to, uh, to ensure that uh, everyone understands, you know, our commitment to doing things in the right way. Uh, but it's, it's a challenge. It, and, uh, and I also think it's important for us as an industry to get the word even out more about what we do for patients. You know, only 10 years ago, if you had chronic myeloid leukemia, um, your prospects were not good. You either had to undergo uh, very significant treatments that would lead to um, significant side effects, uh, or you could die. And today, because of a tiny pill called Gleevec, one of our products, uh, patients, you know, upwards of 85% of the patients five years later are still in remission and are still alive. And, uh, you know, we can't obscure the facts, the figures, the numbers, the results with what we really do for patients. And um, I think it's really important for us to get that word out. Uh, a recent article in the business press noted that uh, Novartis is awaiting regulatory approval in the U.S. and Europe for a new diabetes drug called Galvis. Am I pronouncing that yes, right? Yes, you are. Bill Glifton, Galvis. Okay. Uh, and there's also another big drug for high blood pressure that you're hoping to bring to market soon. Yet one of the reasons that the pharmaceutical industry is perceived by some to be suffering from a slowdown is that they overemphasize block blockbuster drugs. Is this true? And is, is there, in fact, too much emphasis on blockbusters? Well, one of the things that we try to do at Novartis is make sure that we're always 
discovering and developing molecules for unmet medical need. And regardless of this particular size of that market, we want to make sure that where there's need and where there you know, uh, are uh, so far no treatments that we're bringing new innovative compounds to the market. Um, Vildagliptin is a great example. You know, right now there's about 20 million people in this country who suffer from diabetes. A really troubling statistic. You mentioned earlier avian flu. Frankly, I think the real healthcare crisis now is diabetes. It's expected to grow to almost 50 million people by 2050. If you're Hispanic, if you're African American woman in this country over 50 years old, your chances of getting type 2 diabetes are over 50%. So here's an area where I think there's a lot of existing treatments. What we've tried to do is improve not only on the efficacy but on the tolerability profile where it's used in monotherapy but also in combination therapy along with some of these other medications. And uh, we think with that kind of need and all of the implications on our healthcare system that it's critical to get to those kind of new products to market. In, in what treatment area do you think consumers can expect to see the most progress in the next few years? Would it be Alzheimer's disease yeah. treatment or Gosh, cancer? I think it's an exciting time in our industry. Um, you know, so much of our research now uh, is focused on these areas. You know, I think the area of oncology is certainly an exciting one, one that we're really committed to at Novartis, but a lot, many companies are working on. I think in the area of neuroscience, and as you mentioned, Alzheimer's, there's a lot of very interesting research going on in that area. Um, it's still very early in genomics and seeing the exact impact that that will have on our ability to come up with ther- therapies in certain areas. But I think that they offer a lot of promise. And also, I'm very hopeful that we're continue going to continue to see great strides in, um, in infectious disease areas as well. So um, again, I'm, uh, I'm excited about the future. I think there's a lot of challenges facing the industry. But as long as we continue to discover, develop, and commercialize innovative compounds, that make a difference in people's lives. I think uh, it will be exciting. What is the one initiative or advancement that you're most proud of that you have that you have brought to this industry? You know, I think the things that I'm most proud of are the efforts that I've made around ensuring patients can get access to our products. And in uh, both my previous career at Johnson & Johnson and more recently in my career at uh, Novartis, I've really made a determined effort to make sure that underserved patient populations can get access to our products through things like samples, um, ensuring that they're in the physician's offices. Number two, our patient access programs of making sure uh, that they're generous and well-managed so that patients who cannot pay, who are not covered, uh, can get access to them. And most recently, working very closely uh, with our customers, but also with CMS to ensure that the Medicare Part D plan, which which I think, by the way, is a success. There's a lot of, uh, you know, varying accounts out there, depending on who you listen to. Um, and um, But what you see today is that 40 million people, okay, 22 new, but 40 in total, now don't have to make the Faustian choice between medication and their rent. Now, it's not a perfect system, but this was probably the largest undertaking that our government has made around a large um, program like this in more than 20 or 30 years, maybe the largest ever. And uh, the fact that only eight months after its introduction, that even the Kaiser Foundation, who recently completed the study, shows that generally patients feel that they are better cared for today regarding their pharmaceuticals than they were prior to this benefit, I think is a real testament to the work that 
you know, Mark McClellan and his team have done. And, uh, and I think the industry has also managed it very well with our customers. There's, some people have suggested along these lines that the pricing system for drugs in the U.S. doesn't work and that perhaps the industry should consider adopting a one-price policy when selling drugs in different countries. That would, that would neutralize, for example, the current debate over drug imports from Canada. How difficult would it be to achieve a one-price policy? You know, I think it would be extremely difficult. In fact, you know, I think uh, Patricia Danzen here at Wharton has done some interesting studies in this area looking at differential pricing. And, you know, first let me say pricing is an extremely complex uh, issue because you're looking not only at the pricing, the price of the product, but who sets the price, what is the currency impact, uh, what is the overall pricing that you're looking at on a product, is it by volume, is it by dose. So it's very complex. And unfortunately, some of the sound bites that get caught by the press don't richly describe the real situation. Uh, I think at the end of the day, um, it's going to be important that healthcare systems, that governments uh, do find a way to, number one, uh, you know, achieve a level of reimbursement that continues to foster an innovative environment in our industry. Uh, if we don't do that, then we won't be producing the medicines for the future that we need to. At the same time, we've got to ensure that all patients who are truly in need can get access to today's medications that they, uh, they really deserve. A growing trend in the industry is the outsourcing of work at various stages of drug development, such as uh, entering data or even running clinical trials in places like South Africa, Eastern Europe, and of course, India and China. Is this a positive trend? Or do, you, do you foresee problems in this? We know what's really unique about Novartis is I can say we're truly a global organization, uh, a Swiss American, some might say, but I think it's truly a global organization. So I really don't think of it necessarily in terms of outsourcing. I look at it in terms of being part of our global network. And in fact, we have exciting research facilities and development organizations in almost all of the places that you mentioned. And, uh, and certainly, we are always looking for ways to be more productive, more efficient on how we're conducting our business. At the same time, we want to make sure that they um, also follow the same very high standards that we would expect perhaps in the more well-developed uh, countries. Uh, we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy and resources to ensure that that's maintained. But we also think that without a global approach to our business uh, in discovery, in development, or even the way we manufacture commercialized products, you just can't be competitive in today's, today's world. Okay. There was a lot of excitement about the potential of personalized medicine, um, especially around the time of the human genome mapping. Since then, there seems to have been some disappointment in this area, and I'm wondering if you see any future for, for personalized medicine. Yes, I do. Uh, I think it's going to take us a lot more work to get there. Uh, but I think as we learn more and more about biomarkers, as we learn more and more how to translate the breakthroughs in genomics alone into the clinic and how they apply to specific patients and medications, uh, I think that's when the breakthroughs will really occur. All right, I'm, I'll finish up with one question for you. Since you've just been to a, a session on leadership and innovation, uh, and you have talked about leadership and just in our remarks here, I'm wondering if you could just focus on one or two crucial aspects of leadership in the pharmaceutical industry, and, and based on your own personal experience and what you see around you, what's, what's good about the leadership in the industry, what's maybe not working so well? You know, I think what's more important than anything is that we as an industry need to continue to focus on leadership in developing new and innovative therapies. 
And, uh, you know, the science is getting tougher and tougher. As I mentioned in my talk earlier today, many of the more simple single mechanism diseases or conditions we've been able to conquer, whether it's at H1 and H2, a serotonin or dopamine. And what you find now are many of the unmet challenges, let's talk about HIV, let's talk about oncology, are in fact complex mechanisms or they're cascades of disease that require a therapeutic option that may operate on several different mechanisms or domains at one time. So the science is more complicated. And making sure that we stay focused on producing breakthrough medications, I think, is critical for us to demonstrate leadership uh, and to ensure, I think, our reputation is what it should be. Uh, So I think that's absolutely critical. And the other piece for me is really all about access. We've got to be leaders in working with governments and working with advocacy groups and working with healthcare providers to make sure patients can get access to our medications. And, um, you know, frequently uh, there's a number of reasons why that can't and always doesn't occur. And, uh, and we at Novartis are trying hard, again, because of the breadth of our business across biotechnology, pharmaceutical, but also generics, to make sure that people in need are getting the medicines they need. Great. Thanks for your time. Thank you. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 